0: Welcome to Photo Geek Weekly, episode 95, recorded on February 6th of 2020, uh, the Photo Geekery Show, where we just pick out news stories willy-nilly. Uh, no, we put some thought into it. In fact, this week, I actually picked out about a dozen stories and then gave it to my guest to choose the best ones of the bunch. So if you don't like the show, you can blame Steve Brazzle, my co-host for this
1: episode. How are you doing, Steve? That's such a great intro. <laughs> Because now, now the weight is all on my shoulders. It is. But you know what? You picked the stories that
0: I probably would have picked to begin with if I were to whittle them down myself. Uh, what, what's new and exciting with you?
1: Nothing. Just uh, having fun as always. You and I, as we are recording this show, we just recorded our fourth image critique. It was the first one that we've done live. I'm Actually, when we're done with this, I'm going to go watch it and make sure it worked. But uh, just doing the critique shows, just doing the behind the shot podcast, normal episodes, and and having fun. Uh, it's great, and you know it's funny because you uh, uh, I,
0: I saw on Twitter that you were doing what was it a six hour six p.m. to twelve a.m. midnight shift at Kcal Rocks recently. When was yeah, the Monday, last Monday night
1: you- I was on for six hours, which it's been a long time. I used to do midnight to six. But it's been a long time since I did a six-hour air shift where you're stuck in a studio. You really can't leave unless you get a, a Led Zeppelin song or a Metallica song that's seven minutes long.
0: You throw an um, American Pie or something that's eight and a half minutes. and Yeah, I yeah. mean,
1: you've got to find a good stream to be able to. If you need to run to the restroom, you got to find a good <laughs> good group of songs. But it was fun. I, I, you know I, I love radio still to this day, so.
0: Well, I don't know if I'll uh, uh, wax uh, philosophical on uh, Kansas lyrics on this episode as I did previously, but I'm sure we'll have a great conversation, uh, rock music on or off. Uh, you know, you are you're a photographer uh, that does a lot of concert photography. Obviously, you you kind of have that you know, the, the music is in your blood uh, in some way. But when when you look at the evolution of uh, of the industry of both music. And of photography and how these things are documented. Um, You've been at it for a long time. Uh, You know, before we get into the stories, just let me pick your brain. How do you think that those two industries, as they interact, have changed? Before, it used to be people holding up lighters for those rock ballads. And now everybody's waving their smartphones, regardless of which direction it's facing. How's that that change
1: been? That's really kind of where it's changed, is social media really has changed the entertainment industry as a whole because anybody with a phone at a concert can post a live stream to YouTube or to Facebook or to Instagram stories and show these bands very, very quickly with photos or whatever. And quite often it's bad quality. It's a bad photo. It's bad video. The audio sounds like, you know, horrible. And yet The restrictions on media photographers like me have become more onerous where, you know, a lot of bands want pre-approval before you post any photos, which is a weird thing to me because everybody else is posting horrible phone pics, but they want to make sure that high quality, high resolution photos that are posted are flattering to the artist, which makes sense. I mean, let's be honest. It's, they are their own brand. You have to protect your brand and their face is their brand, but- it's this weird mix right now of media photography is not welcome. Fan photography is.
0: Well, and that's, it's kind of,
1: oh, it's an interesting,
0: uh, play on things because you look at everybody in the world that has a camera, which is just about everybody because it's in your phone. Right. Most people have phones, um, and, and you think, wh- what are people taking pictures of? What are the snapshots of the day? They are anything meaningful within that day. They are the food that you eat, the people that you meet, the things that you see. And so, too, becomes the concert experience. Um, you know, when I've gone to concerts, I've maybe taken a selfie with my wife, uh, who is my uh, usual partner whenever I'm out there. Um, but that's just to commemorate that occasion. Uh, then the phones go away because... If I'm trying to record this uh, this event, I'm not in the event, right? Like I, I'm kind of excluding myself to be a documentarian uh, of something with the most awful subpar quality you could imagine. And I would never want to share that with the world because that's not the experience that I am supposed to be there for.
1: Yeah, no, I, yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I have had artists on a stage ask people to put their phones away. Yep. I've also had artists on a stage reach down and grab a fan's phone and walk around the stage taking pictures of each band member for them. So, again, it's it's a very weird time that we're in, and it really, I think, depends on the person that's on stage, how do they feel personally, their relationship with their fans is. Yeah. Right? If their relationship with their fans is old school, you know, you're in the audience, you watch us perform, they tend to be offended by all the phones in the air. If it's, we're all here to enjoy this together, it's a different approach. The worst part?
0: The iPads in the air.
1: Oh, yeah. going to say that. Yeah. (laughs) Or people that use Flash that don't realize the Flash isn't going to go from the back of the stadium to the stage.
0: Yeah. Well, well, the tiny little flash on their phones or iPads. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, all right. Well, that was a, a nice little bit of dialogue to start us off. Uh, but our stories don't really connect to that. So I don't have a segue. I apologize. Um, the first one is a rumor and DP review is, uh, is reporting on a Canon rumor story. Now, DP review doesn't usually post rumor stuff unless there's substance behind it. Um, and so this kind of comes to the forefront, um, that Canon is rolling out their next mirrorless cameras. And, uh, we expected this, of course, you know, they, uh, the initial, uh, volley of cameras kind of build a foundation and then everything evolves from there. The article says rumor Canon's next mirrorless camera could have a 45 megapixel sensor with IBIS uh, in body image stabilization and possible 8K 30 frames per second video. Which sounds uh, like it would uh, demolish the competition in every way. If we jump to the the Canon, uh, uh, the Canon rumors website, uh, the current specifications are as such that they have listed in this article, 45 megapixels. One source said 40. So in that ballpark. Yeah, still uh,
1: still a high megapixel camera.
0: Right. Uh, In-body image stabilization, five stops with IBIS alone, seven to eight stops if it's used in uh, in concert with an in-lens stabilizer. And that's valuable that those two things can talk together. Uh, 14 frames per second or 20 uh, if you are uh, using, I'm assuming that they don't state it here, but an electronic shutter versus a mechanical shutter. Correct. Um, uh, Mechanical being the lower number. Right. Uh and one source said twelve for the mechanical versus fourteen
1: uh scroll wheel added. Still to the back. Stop, let me stop you on that. Still, that's you know, one DX mark two II, mark three oh, yeah. level. At that that's at that that megapixel that, level, even for a mechanical huge. shutter. My gosh, man, twelve to fourteen on the mechanical. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, A scroll wheel added to the back, no touch bar, Uh, live
0: view slash movie toggle like previous EOS uh, 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 DSLRs, a larger battery capacity, but it's still in the LPE6 format, which I think has become kind of an industry standard now. I've got a lot of devices that will take those as just kind of a, a plug in. And so if you could make a higher capacity battery there, that's great. Then the video stuff gets iffy. 8k 30 frames per second raw. Uh okay, we'll come back to that. 4k at 120 frames per second, 4k at 60. Um, and uh the info given about a crop was confusing and the announcement ahead of CP plus next month. So, number one, Steve, do you expect this
1: camera to be coming soon? And what do you think of all of these specs? Well, let me start by saying Canon Rumors is my go-to site. By the way, he just released a new t-shirt uh, and and product line for Canon Rumors. Support the guy, buy a t-shirt. Oh, Craig Blair, by the way, the
0: guy behind Canon Rumors. I, I don't know if he often publicizes his name, but he's in Owen Sound, Ontario. And uh, uh, he is a great guy. I don't think I've ever met him in person, uh, but we've had a few brief uh, conversations here and there online,
1: and uh, he's genuine. He's a great guy. I I love the site. I love what he does. And I love the attitude that he writes with. And one of the first things he said in his rumor post was, I find some of this too good to be true. And I agree. Now, first of all, this is rumored to be an EOS R5, one of what was one, then two, and now three rumored bodies. (laughs) Of course. You and I discussed when, when the EOS R first came out, you and I discussed on your show was it enough? Because Sony was out there. Nikon had announced around the same time the, the Z6 and Z7. And we we had kind of discussed that, well, look, this is probably a great camera. And the people that I know that are shooting an EOS R love the EOS R. But was it really enough to make a splash and compete this late in the game? From the specs that I'm seeing here, 40 to 45 megapixels, I, I think that the, the IS stuff you mentioned Cannot be oversold. Five stops with IBIS, seven to eight stops when when paired with in lens image stabilization. Yep. I think from a stills point of view, this could be the camera that we needed to make a splash, to make a statement. They're late in the game at this point. Nikon is pretty, the the six and seven came out and kind of nailed it. They had two skews. It covered a wide gamut of users. Sony obviously established. Panasonic established. The EOS R didn't really equal those to me, whether people love it or not. I think this could do it. The video stuff, I don't know, man. 8K RAW at 30 frames a second. I literally do not see that happen. There's no reason to have that happen. I don't think the demographic for this camera cares at all about 8K RAW video. Even Blackmagic does a 4 and a 6. Well, you, you look
0: at what Canon did with the 5D Mark II, rolling out 1080p video um, on a DSLR. It was revolutionary, right? Uh, it really changed the industry for uh, any anybody less than uh, buying a camera that costs what a vehicle would cost, right? Right. And so you, you see that pedigree that they've kind of lost and- if they were to push to maybe gain that back, uh, but I don't know if the technology is even there yet. I mean, we, we've seen um, the, uh, the Z6 and Z7 from Nikon uh, having uh, raw capabilities now through an external recorder, through an Atomos Ninja V which I also have, and I'm eagerly waiting for that same functionality to come. It's announced, uh, that will come to my, um, uh, Lumix S one. And uh, I'm currently borrowing an S one H for some projects right now that I would love to have that functionality because it just gives more flexibility. I'm not dealing with things in post with those cameras. I'm sending them off to documentary film groups that are then going to have the most flexibility, the highest quality in post. Um, but that's for very specific, very specific uses. Uh, if I was shooting for my own purposes, I wouldn't use that. It would have absolutely no value. And Canon also has their cinema line, the C 100, 200, 300, 500, 700 cameras. Um, I, I I, I don't know where the four and the six is in there. They haven't made them yet, but, um, the point is that would it, it seems like it would cannibalize the sales of those cameras and it seems unlikely well, that they would do so.
1: It seems unlikely they would do it, but more importantly to me, there's just no need for it. You, you don't need, whether you care about cannibalizing or not, you don't need two product SKUs doing the exact same thing. You just don't need it. So yeah. whether whether they're even thinking cannibalization or just, we've already got X, in this camera let's do why it's a different demographic for a hybrid stills and video camera than it is the demographic for a C500 or a C200 now one of the rumors was 4K at 120 frames a se- second but that there would possibly be a crop which canon is famous for cropping their videos they you know using a, a crop sensor for the video i had that on the 1dx mark too Exactly. The argument in this rumor is that that would be for heat control, which would make sense. But to me, I, again, I just don't think that you need 4K at 120. If they do 4K at 60 without a crop, 4K 60 frames per second. Yep. I, I think you do that with, with 40 to 45 megapixel stills and killer you know frames per second on the stills. I think that's your body. I think that's the magic body That can can literally put their foot down of we are here. The questions then come in. If you're doing that type of stuff, you've got to have CF Express. Yep. If you come out with another camera that only has one slot, everybody's going to light you up. You've got to (laughs) have two slots. It better not be CF Express and SD. Right. Well, so means- I mean, to be fair, uh, like the uh, the Lumix S1H
0: has two SD card slots and I got some really fast SD cards uh, for my current shoots that will be at like 300 uh, megabits per second or, or, or megabytes per second. Uh, and the fastest recording modes in the uh, in the camera are 400 megabits per second, which, uh, you know, you would divide that by four to get uh, or, uh, by eight. Uh, rather, to, to get megabytes per second. And so, those cards for video, video is fast enough. But when you are offloading 14 frames per second from what we can assume would be the standard of a 14 bit RAW file, um, you have 14 frames at 45 megapixels at that rate, that's where that CF Express really comes into shine. Video doesn't actually need it, it's well, the stills volume that really requires that.
1: Yeah, I mean, a video resolution is nothing like 45 megapixels. I mean, it's you're talking 1080p or 4K. But, but here's the other thing is they're not mentioning, okay, I can shoot 14 frames a second mechanical, 12 or 14. Even more electronic. Whether you're electronic or mechanical doesn't matter. You've got to write this. The 1DX Mark III had the thousand shot buffer we talked about. Yep. We don't know what the buffer is on this. And if that buffer is filling up, then this is all a moot point. Well, okay, but the, the, the buffer could be uh, controlled by
0: a number of things. I think CF Express is going to be the route moving forward for high-end, high-megapixel, high-frame-rate cameras. Should be. We, uh, we don't know, but it should be. Um, and that is a standard that is just in its infancy. Uh, and I, I remember seeing some numbers being like the, the first cards would be 450 megabytes a second or higher, and it'll only grow from there. So if there's a bottleneck, the bottleneck is going to be not the memory card, but the ability to push data to it. And that has to do with all the processors and everything else within the camera. Uh, and they might be limited by heat. So uh, we, we will see uh, where this shakes out. But uh, I think what we're trying to say is Canon is about to shake things up. And, and the related story here um, that you picked out from F-stoppers, Uh, is a question in the title says, is Canon about to take back its crown as the king of the camera industry? Well, okay. There's a lot of ways to unpack this. I don't know if there's ever been a king of the camera industry because there's so many different cameras for so many different purposes. Um, but you know, I, I don't think they ever lost it. To begin with, uh, they if you look at their financials, if you look at their numbers of sales and their revenue numbers, they're still rocking it, even though Sony and Nikon and Lumix and so many other brands within this space are really rocking it too, um, Canon hasn't said, well, we're floundering, we're losing money, we're hemorrhaging and we need to uh, revitalize
1: ourselves. I think they're playing good cards here. I think again, there's there's so many data points that can be utilized to call, you know, something the crown, you know, or the king of a camera industry. Is that sales? Is that number of units shipped? Is that something that has nothing to do from a business model point of view? And it's just do the people like the features that you're putting in your cameras, right? You could make the argument that if this camera that comes out, an EOS, you know, five R R five, um comes out with Killer features that blow away the Sony and blow away the Z series from Nikon. Oh, they've got their crown back, even if they sell three of them, right? So it's kind of a mixed data point. My my thing would be what you said. Most of the numbers that I've seen, seen still show that Canon is top of the market as far as sales. Canon is financially more stable than almost all the other companies out there from what I've seen. Well, if if you look at just the photographic space,
0: because Sony is massive, they make sensors for other companies. Exactly. That's what we're talking about though, is cameras. Right. Uh, But but, but stable as a company, even if there's instability in one market, that instability kind of gets evened out based on the other industries that could support a downturn and then eventually an upturn. Uh, I was going to say that like, Panasonic makes the batteries in my car. Uh, and they just announced that 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 part of their industry has for the first time just turned a profit uh, based on all of their uh, investment. They now have a return on that that's worthwhile. Uh, it's not to say that the camera industry will come in waves. In fact, anything consumer facing is going to come in waves right? Uh, uh, based on yearly cycles based on upgrade cycles based on uh, trends in society and so many other factors uh, so if you have a buffer behind the scenes that can even that out a little bit like Panasonic and Sony does Canon does too I mean they make the printer that I have and they make oodles of money on the ink that I buy I'm sure uh, and they have uh, other imaging divisions too outside of the regular consumer facing stuff in fact we were talking on a previous episode i'm not sure if you were on but we were talking about canon's um 250 megapixel sensors for uh, industrial or at least uh for for people to to buy as a product but not as a finished consumer device to then roll into whatever they were trying to create and i got an announcement recently from them that they had some new test models uh or some new sensors out for evaluation That doesn't really face us photographically, but they're evolving that kind or that side of that business-to-business industry as well. That's the buffer, right? That helps them uh, kind of bridge this gap of uncertainty within this new- uh,
1: You're you're talking about diversity. It's a diversified company, and diversity with any company is is its strength, and at times allows that company to play even at a loss in a particular market field. So- you know, will they get their crown back? I don't think that they ever lost it. If they did based on these rumors. Yeah. I think these could be, these could be the cameras everybody wanted when the R came out. Will Canon lose their crown? That's the real question, Steve. Yes. Yes. I'm not saying yes, they will. (laughs) Let me clarify. (laughs) Okay. No, I'm saying yes. That's the question is, will they lose that crown? And for that matter, isn't there room in the industry for more than one person to have the crown? I
0: suppose so. I mean, the crown is more of an exclusivity, like when you put something on a pedestal saying it's the best. Um, But I don't think there needs to be a best anymore. With so many really good brands, you can't go and you and, and buy a bad camera. Um, look at what Sony is doing with the a seven R four for stills photographers. Right. Uh, look at what, uh, Panasonic is doing with the Lumix S one H for video, uh, shooters uh, that does ca- take incredibly capable stills as well. Um, and those might be crown worthy cameras. Uh, I shoot with the S one R as my primary shooter, and I've never touched a better camera. Uh, it is by far the best camera by far above what I was shooting with. Uh, at least for my purposes, the Canon, uh, one DX mark II. Uh, it's what I moved to. And I I did a shot recently and I shared it with you, Steve. Um, Oh, yeah. Uh, And I haven't actually published that particular image, but I shot with the high resolution mode with a five times microscope objective, some, uh, some crystals I made out of citric acid and then cross polarized. I've got my mad scientist hat on right now. Um, and just to see the level of detail and color transition that you can create,
1: I sent you a JPEG. It looks even better as a TIFF file with better color gradation. Uh, but yeah, but-, but that picture that you sent me—I can't wait for you to make that public so people know what we're talking about. There, there. The color, and when you zoomed in and zoomed in and zoomed in and zoomed in to a hundred percent on that image, the textury detail. I'm not just talking edge detail. I'm talking detail, like amazing detail in that thing. And that's what I mean by can't you have more than one crown? That Panasonic may be the absolute best thing on the market for shooting what you're shooting and for shooting that. Would it work for me for concerts? I don't know. I haven't shot one, probably. But would a 1DX Mark III be better? Possibly. It's it's like everything. These are tools. And depending on what your goal is with the tool, a hammer is better than a wrench or not. Yeah. 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 Uh,
0: and, and so with these tools, I mean, we're creating artwork that hopefully we're happy with. Right. Um, if you're not happy with it, then it probably has nothing to do with the tool. It has more to do with you as the photographer, because right. really you are the impetus of, of the creation, um, which brings me to our next story. Uh, Unsplash is in the news again. Uh, and another story from DP Review. Unsplash. uh, For for those that don't know, this was a platform uh, that uh, kind of created buzz around the fact that you could upload all of the images that you didn't want, sort of your contact sheet of rejected images that you know will never see the light of day, that you could just upload and let anybody use for free, which I summarily rejected uh, as... uh, Oh, we all did. (laughs) But... Because if you have something that's 80% of what you're good at, but it's not your 100%, well, 80% might be good enough for somebody that would otherwise license your 100% work. And you're selling yourself short to, to, to share the stuff that is just barely subpar that might be good for a client that doesn't illustrate what you are all about and what your, uh, what your flagship work could produce, the stuff in your portfolio. And so uh, this article uh, from DP Review says Unsplash partners with major institutions to add modern and historical images to its library. Now, historical imagery uh, could be even out of copyright. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that maybe an institution has owned the copyright to uh, or its public domain, but they happen to have the original sources of uh, that will be now available on Unsplash for any anybody to use free of charge. Steve, does this change your
1: opinion of Unsplash? I don't know that it is funny. I don't know what my opinion of Unsplash is. When they first came out, I was one of the ones that was, this is crazy. The people that are submitting these images for free are selling themselves short. But really the truth is, most of the people that were submitting those images were advanced hobbyists. I don't think they were pros. Right. There were well-known photographers that had conversations with the founder of Unsplash like Zach Arias did. And there was a lot of debate about it. But here's... I'm not saying my mind has changed. I'm saying my point of view has changed a little bit. First of all, Getty would have loved to have have gotten these libraries, right? The fact that Unsplash got these libraries from Library of Congress, these archives, New York Public Library, uh, NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Association, uh, Boston Public Library, which is one of the most beautiful libraries, by the way, you'll ever go into. Oh, it's stunning. We're talking paintings. Ocean creatures, historical photos, Titanic stuff from U.S. Geological Survey and CDC, and these—this is a great list of photos that takes Unsplash from the category that they were in of stock or microstock to a complete photographic repository for anybody. But here's my thing on Unsplash: I think all of us originally were, and I shouldn't say all of us, but a lot of people were Unsplash is hurting the photo industry. They're taking away jobs from paid photographers. And the fact of the matter is, it's just not true that they were doing that. Today, with Unsplash in existence for a a number of years, if you are a real working commercial photographer, this didn't affect you. You're still out there quoting jobs. You're still out there most likely shooting commercial jobs. Could there be less overall? Yes, but I think the real good photographers are still... Quoting and getting paid work. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Unsplash, for the photography community isn't their market. Their client are designers and ad agencies and PR companies. And in a sense, what Unsplash is doing for their clients is good client service. They're giving them photos that they can use in markup, in design, and in publications Inexpensively, That's their clientele. They're serving their clientele. I don't well, necessarily like it. Well, especially if you don't care about
0: exclusivity in any way, right? Like if you want to use an image that, uh, you know, 50 other people, 500 other people are also using. I just
1: want to make a poster for my store.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And so you don't care that there's so many other uses. It might be bothersome if the store right next to you is using the same image, but what are the chances of that? And so that's, uh, that's the gamble that I think these people play. Um, you're right to think that it wasn't the pros that were going to be going there. Um, but I think, you know, if you're looking for a resource that you can guarantee in some way, uh, public domain accessibility to content, in one place across a number of different sources, especially if they are containing content that is generally public domain, but you've got to go through all sorts of red tape or hoops and jumps in order to get, get at. If that was all in one place, I'd be very happy about that. I'd be very happy about the access to that information. NASA has done a great job, but maybe not everybody else has making things completely accessible. So To have this in one place, I I think it redefines what Unsplash is, but um, there's also issues. I remember a a case, I don't know the specifics, so I'm going to paraphrase here, that a photographer uploaded their content to Unsplash and then removed it, and so it was no longer bound by the terms of Unsplash because they removed their content, but some people at the time that the content was available had used it. And then the photographer went after them through legal means for copyright infringement. And that's just dastardly uh, from from the photographer's point of view, if if I'm remembering it correctly. Uh, But it also puts the onus on the person using the content to ensure that what you're using, is it free to use now? And is it free to use forever?
1: Will this ever change? And if it's something, but that's that's everybody's argument about licensing, right? Well, that really is the the licensing argument: is that it's too cumbersome for end users.
0: Well, but but if and and this is valuable, if if the content is originally public domain, it doesn't have a license that is being uh, released during its time within the platform, but it was released
1: well before it arrived there. I think the platform makes a lot more sense. And, and I do want to say part of the reason I love the stories that you end up, you know, choosing is the comments. And there's some <laughs> very intelligent people. I mean, there's always trolls, but there are some really good comments. And there was one comment in here. And let me let me before I quote this con- this comment, let me say I would still prefer that an unsplash didn't exist. Right. I still right. think that. There are a number of ground-shifting movements that are happening that are overall going to affect the professional photography industry. And Unsplash is one of those. It's just they don't necessarily care about photographers. They care about their clients, which are the designers. But just for a different point of view, this comment was interesting. Quote, millions of people develop software for free and then upload it under licenses, allowing anybody to do everything they want with it. That's considered beneficial and heroic. Thousands of hobby game developers offer their source code, game design, artwork for free on the internet to use in every project you want, and it's considered helpful. Musicians offer their music copyright free on the internet so that you can remix and benefit from it however you like, and they're loved for doing that. Now photographers... Offer their images for free so everyone can use them without copyright. And they are now destroying photography and devaluing the work of artists. They're single-handedly killing professional photography jobs. So the guy ends with a question. What is different in photography? Why should photography professionals be protected from hobbyists when other industries aren't? I have the answer. Because if
0: uh, let's use music for an example, uh, if you if you're an artist and you, uh, you know, produce a song and you put it out there and people start stealing it, they still appreciate the artist. They still uh, it's it's their voice or uh, it's the name behind the music and they might seek out more of that particular music. Photography does not have that same connection. Correct. We do, we do not have our name associated with our work. If our, if our name, our credit line is scrapped off, you don't know who made that. You have no association of the artist to the art. And so there is a disparity between other types of art and photography. And I, I think that that's a bad thing. I wish that our work was very much more representative, uh, of, of the photographers that create it, but in every other industry, uh, The the artists are heralded as heroes because they're still represented in their work if they give it away for free, whereas photographers are not. We are forgotten in that process, and that's where the problem is.
1: And I agree with you 100%. And again, I kind of wish that microstock had not come about. I kind of wish we were back in the days where Getty overcharged for everything and Unsplash (laughs) didn't exist. But – We as a photography community have to realize that too many creative industries, music industry where they fought iTunes and digital distribution forever and arguably pivoted and shifted too late. The movie industry where you have executives that have said off the record, I understand that this is all going to go digital, but I can't let it happen on my watch. We as photographers have to understand a ground shift is going to happen. We have to reevaluate our business models early and try and shift with the industry that changes.
0: Uh, so long as we don't also enforce the shift, right? I mean, you have to be there with it, uh, but if you are also I, uh, collaborating is maybe not the right word, but if you are forcing that shift to accelerate in some way that is devaluing yourself, I would not be a part of Unsplash. Agreed. And that, th- thereby, I don't think many other professionals would be,
1: but you can't deny that it's there and it's getting stronger. And so. that's my point is, again, I'd rather it's not there, but you can't, you can't ignore it. You don't bet against yourself, but you also have to, you have to be willing to pivot to survive. That's just business. You have to pivot to survive. Exactly. So talking about pivoting, let's
0: talk about somebody that may not have done that so well. Uh, So a Petapixel article, what happens when a major photo magazine shuts down? Question mark. So- I'll I'll read the the opening lines here from this article. Last week, Emerald Expositions, the owner of Photo District News, PDN, uh, announced that PDN would no longer publish new content online or in print. So both cut, not just print, but online as well. Uh, The magazine has been a staple of the professional photography industry, particularly for advertising advertising and commercial photography pdn's articles covered a wide range of topics that include gear announcements industry news and the venerable pdn 30 which defined and showcased emerging photographers in addition pdn produced a number of photo contests including the pdn annual and it is no more so gone it's gone uh steve i i want to throw this to you for your initial thoughts uh the, the print industry is changing and, and I talked about this on the episode of inside the lens, which might actually be published before this episode. So if you haven't uh, listened to uh, the inside the lens podcast, which is also in my photo geek weekly uh, stream, go and listen to episode nine that I have with skip Cohen. And we talk about the changing industry. And uh, we mentioned some of those changes, you know, popular photography is, is no longer around. Uh, and so many others are either struggling or gone. Like I, I worked with uh, Outdoor Photography Canada for almost a decade, and they are gone now. Uh, They published my very first cover shot of a snowflake and a feature article on how to photograph them that turned into a huge success for me. Uh, Everything from magazine covers, a book on the topic, to currency, Canadian currency that features my images. And I'm thrilled and honored for that privilege. It all started with a print publication that decided to give me a chance. So I I have a... an emotional connection to this kind of thing. When this goes away, does it actually change anything or has the industry already changed
1: around this and this is no longer relevant? The the, the last part of that. So when I saw this story, to me, this is, okay, it's PDN. And PDN is well-known. Emerald is well-known. By the way, for people who don't know, Emerald is the one who does uh, photo Plus in New York. They do WPPI, which is yep, at the end of this month in Las Vegas. And the, the problem is, and we just talked about this in the last story, the photo industry has definitely changed, right? We're talking smartphone cameras and readily accessible still in video options that have completely altered the user base. However... Contrary to popular, popular belief and kind of touching on what we talked about in the last thing, pros do still exist. Pros are still out there. And pros, just like you and I, when we started in photography and we would buy printed photo magazines to read, right? You'd go to a grocery store. You'd go to a bookstore. And you'd buy an actual physical magazine because you wanted the gear reviews. You wanted the industry information. You wanted the news You wanted all of that info. Pros still want that info. The problem is they're getting that info from Photo Geek Weekly. They're getting that info from F-Stoppers. They're getting it from DP Review. They're getting it from Petapixel. They're getting it from YouTube. And my argument is the print industry as a whole missed the mark. They did not see the, the foreshadowing of change, and they didn't pivot. Because you and I both know the business model for print magazines, which is basically advertising. Yep. The, the advertising market for print media has been unsustainable for as long as I can remember. Right? They tried doing websites with paywalls. Paywalls don't exist unless the reader is willing to pay for the content.
0: Oh, and I I see paywalls all the time when I'm flipping through my Android phone uh, list of news stories. And I, I find something interesting. And it's like from the New York Times. And I try to read it because it's just presented to me, obviously, that I can read that. And it's behind a paywall. And I can only read the first two sentences. I'm annoyed at it by that point. I, I don't get a freebie. I don't get a warning that I can dismiss from certain venues. If you put it behind a paywall and you offer it up like candy to begin with and then snatch it away from me, that annoys the heck out of me. I, uh, I completely I, I, agree. I, I'm not saying that they were doing that, but the, the paywall industry, like if you're going to take that approach, it has pitfalls and and you can't tease content that people cannot access that.
1: That they would like to on a whim without making an investment in. Okay, but but let's go the other side. They would say to you, we have writers that we want to pay, we have content creators that we need to pay, and everybody's coming to our site with ad blockers. So we have to find a way to monetize. So there, there is a balancing act that that these outlets have to do. I understand all of that. I I agree that the ad blocker
0: idea is that, you know, block the content if you're blocking the ads. I don't have an ad blocker on my phone. Uh, And and then you can whitelist them. Right. Sure. Uh, But, you know, if you summarily refuse me and you're still making your money from your advertising and you're refusing me the content that I'm there for, then there's something broken
1: about that process. Well, and here's the thing. There is a big difference between generalized content like, for example, talking about a new canon that's been announced or released or a rumor. There's a big difference between this generalized content that can be uh, collated almost anywhere and the Wall Street Journal, which is very specific, very niche. uh, And you can put that behind a paywall. People will pay for niche content that is hard to come by. No one is going to pay for content that anybody can get anywhere. And so my argument is these print companies didn't pivot The DP reviews and petapixels and f-stoppers and podcasts and things like that have moved in to fill that void. And I'm not sure it's not too late because I don't know what business model a PDN could have implemented today to save themselves. Well, there, there's a lot of different ideas where,
0: you know, if I could pay for a template contract for something, if I could pay for different services in terms of, uh, on the really core business side of things, uh, photographically, um, uh, advice from professionals, whether they be, uh, legal or experts or anybody else, um, that, that opinion, if they could, uh, you know, get some exclusive content within that and put that behind a paywall that could elevate my business, then I would be willing to pay for that industry news in general, just like what's happening, who's releasing what and what the reviews are like. No, that's freebies. That's everywhere. You can't pay for that uh, because you get it for free. Uh, There's nobody that would be willing to do that. So uh, PDN by their core nature, I, I don't think they made that pivot, but I also think that, other entities within that brand are making the pivot. So you look at Emerald uh, that's doing WPPI and they're doing great with that. And PhotoPlus too, um, because it's not just the information, it's the
1: interaction. It's the interconnectivity, right? See, and I would, I would, I would question you. Okay. Are they doing well in WPPI? Because I do believe that in today's world with, with any conference, the social side, there are conferences that literally build in at times specifically for social interaction. The social game at a conference is quite often at times more important than the expo or the actual classes or sessions. The question is, I don't know how WPPI or PhotoPlus are doing, but right. if that's their last bastion of hope, if, if they're leaving print to stay in conferences, have they pivoted conferences properly, which we don't really know. We don't know. I, I don't know the numbers, but
0: uh, I do know that they are still very valuable for the industry. Um, yes, a, I agree. They are a coalescing point of knowledge and personality, and uh, you have to have somebody that's willing to do that in order for things to uh, – for people to share ideas, right? And I, I don't think that that's going to go away as quickly as print media – But if somebody came in and reinvented things and kind of swept the rug from under their feet, then they wouldn't be able to pivot quickly enough to stop that. Now, that hasn't happened, and WPPI and PhotoPlus are still very valuable, but they
1: are on thin ice, I think. Well, and I think some people are looking to do that. So we have a mutual friend, Troy Miller, who has started a conference called F64 Live, and his entire idea is that conferences are not feeding the creativity of creators and he's trying to do something that in his mind is, is a different kind of photo workshop and or, or conference. And I think just like websites like DP Review came in to suck up the print market clientele, I think there is an opportunity out there for creative people. Chris Smith of out of Chicago is another one Uh, for creative people to do conferences differently and compete with these traditional conference type shows. By the way, you mentioned
0: Chris, Uh, I will be a part of the out of Chicago Botanic gardens conference this year. And that's awesome. And anybody that wants to join that conference, which you get my full geekery and mad scientist approach to just about anything that I'm talking about, and you get – if you want to talk to me one-on-one, there's time for that uh, sort of thing as well – uh, if you want to be a part of that conference and you want to save some money at it, I think it's 250 bucks off the, the cost of the ticket. Uh, just put in the coupon code DONCOM D-O-N-K-O-M, when you go to the Out of Chicago uh, website and, uh, and you uh, apply to register for that conference. It's well worth it. I did it last year. And they asked me back and I'm thrilled to be going back. Uh, last year, it was in Longwood Gardens, Pennsylvania. Now it's in Chicago uh, proper. And I actually think those gardens are going to be nicer to, to work with. Um, but even the in-studio stuff that we might be doing is going to be so much fun. But it's revolutionary. It's changing things, uh, these kinds of conferences. And I, I'm looking forward to the day that uh, that I could say, okay, we're in a stable industry. And I know that day will never come. I'm still looking forward to it. I'm not giving up hope because hope is, uh, you know, what pushes you forward. Uh, but we have a lot of change that is coming in this industry moving forward. And that brings us to our final story. Uh, and this is a kind of is change. just bizarre. That I, I don't, I don't like that this exists at all. Uh, but let's talk about it here. Uh, so from F Stoppers, a photographer asked to shoot a 10 hour wedding for free in expensive, in exchange for exposure to the couple's 300 guests okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna skip the article I'm gonna read the actual communique here uh, a screenshot from reddit as they say in the article we are asking to help uh, your help to sponsor 10 hours of continuous photography coverage T- to sponsor <laughs> uh, in exchange we will be showcasing your company too. 3,000 plus combined Facebook followers, 300 total wedding guests, 196 wedding guests based in the Chicagoland area, 117 unmarried guests. I have to hit my
1: mute switch because I'm literally about to break out laughing out loud.
0: (laughs) So 117 unmarried guests, specifically between the ages of 24 and 35, the age where you might get married, and 73 parents with unmarried children between the ages of 24 to 35 oh my goodness could you could you paint
1: yourself in a more pathetic light than this steve this this when i saw this article oh the thoughts that ran through my head first of all the numbers you just gave 117 unmarried guests between ages 24 to 35 73 parents of unmarried children (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm guessing there's overlap there. It's there's probably be some, 73 yeah. parents of some of those 117 guests. But still, I DJed weddings. I owned a DJ business for 18 years here in Southern California. A 10-hour wedding, first of all, the bride and groom are just insane to begin with, right? A 10-hour wedding is Oh, bride-zilla. This sounds like Bridezilla here. Yeah, it just absolutely. Now, that said, and before I just absolutely crack up and unload on these people, let me say, very creative right? I mean, if you're a bride and a groom and enterprising, Oh my gosh, man. Just so creative. Here's the thing though. I'm going to, I'm going to play both sides just for debate's sake, right? They're nuts. No, you don't take this job. Not going to happen, but we've all said, and I preach it often. Don't work for free. Okay. Yeah. Your work, your knowledge, your product, The tools that you own, the cameras that you own, the software that you own, the training that you've paid for, that all has value. However, we've all done work for free, right? We've all chosen for one reason or another to do work that's not paid by cash. But an unpaid internship isn't really working for free. You're getting education, you're getting knowledge, you're getting mentoring. You might choose to do free work for charity. The key is, to me, the better way to work this, because the barter system, really what this is, is a request for a barter system. The barter system does work. The key to a barter system is who's getting value for what, right? So the don't work for free is a blanket line that doesn't always hold. If you choose to work for something other than cash, do it. The better way to word it is your work has value what value do you need to do a job yeah well and, and here's how this could have been changed
0: they could have offered all of this exposure and you know what they, there might be some business leads from that but you can't guarantee on that and it's probably not gonna happen because nobody's photograph uh, uh, focused on the photographers in this case what if you added at the end what if you said Uh, And if none of these people decide to hire you within the next five years, we will pay
1: you your base rate for two weddings. Exactly. And there there is the barter system of a win-win. Yes, I'll do it if you guarantee me X number of bookings from those clients Yes, that I get. The key to me is that you – okay, let me back up. This entire proposition is a variable. Let's just be really clear on that, Uh okay? If I'm floating in business, then my response to you is going to be, I'm booked a year in advance. My rate is this, pay me my rate or go away. If on the other hand, it's a slow time of year and I've got bills piling up, I might say to them, you know what? Yeah, I'll I'll do it for 50% off. Everything is business and a variable and we all do sales and we all do what we need. The key is always charge something so that you know that you have worth. And I'm going to give you a scenario where people screw up. The problem is that most photographers, most business people aren't business people, right? They open a business for something they know, love, or like to do, but they really don't understand business. Yes. So that's why most go under. I had a friend who was a genius with computers. I mean, this guy was that good. He opened a computer store. And I went in to say hi to him once. I'm standing there waiting for him. He's waiting for a client and they're talking about a pc and the client said how you know after a long conversation how much is this pc and he goes it's 550 and the guy goes all right cool i'll take it and my friend's response literally instantly after the guy said i'll take it was i'll do it for you for 450 why would you do that <laughs> and and i wanted to scream what is wrong with you? You just, you just gave closed away the sale and you $100. lowered your own price. But our problem is we tend to think purely on closing a sale by price, as opposed to closing a sale on value. Yes, right. You want five fifty? That's great. You know what? A better thing would be pay six hundred and I'll give you this with it.
0: Well, and that's added value, or even so. Thank you for agreeing to the sale so quickly. Here's a bonus, even at no extra cost. If the cost to your friend would have been like ten bucks, right? Uh, you know, just something just as an add-on, which then says, okay, well, I'm going to come back to these people because they add value uh, to, uh, to to my purchases. And well, that's a computer shop that is exactly the same, uh, model that we face as photographers when we're selling a service. Right. You know, I, I, would never discount my services. Um, I would add value sometimes when it's not even asked for, like I've had customers that have asked me for some product shots and I'll include an extra one or two at different angles that I just shot because I thought they might be useful. They didn't ask for them, but I won't do it for everything, but I'll throw in one or two just to say, hey, here's some added value icing on the cake. The time it would have taken me to do that while I was already doing the shoot
1: was minimal at best. It's what Um, I call a one percenter. So you you give them the job and then you just give them that one percent that something somebody else would not have given them. And the other thing, by the way, even if you're not going to charge, bill them. So I have a rule of thumb that if I do a job for an IT client that, I know in my head should have taken, I'll make up numbers, eight hours. But for some strange reason, I ended up with a problem. And in the back of my head, I think, you know, I should have seen that coming and I still should have been able to do it in eight hours, but it took 10. Yep. I'll bill them 10 and I'll list on there two hours, no charge. Now I put in 10, I'm being honest, there's 10 hours. I'm only charging them for eight. But I'm making clear that they understand two hours of my time I'm not charging them for because then they also never question any of my invoices because they know I'm honest. Well, true enough. Uh,
0: I mean, you could also play it on the other side of the coin where um, you're doing work that you have uh, developed expertise in an area that will require less time. And I don't usually charge by the hour for just about anything, Um, but I'll often offer people a discount. On my services based on my experience with that particular subject, because it doesn't take any learning for me, I I can do it almost blindfolded, and so I I will show them the price of a thousand dollars, and I'll bill them nine fifty because it's procedural for me. It's not a huge discount, mind you, but it's at least something on paper that says, okay, well we agreed on this price, uh, and I, I send the invoice slightly lower. Uh, sometimes because you know what, it's not even stressful work, I, and and I love that. You know, if I have a client that is coming to me repeatedly, and they are willing to pay that full price, I give them the extra images. I rarely discount, but if I do, it's like five percent or so right. within that area. Uh, and and at the end of the day, they come back to me again and say, "Hey, can we can we do more business with you? Just anything to make people happy." It's a a relationship. You have to make the other side happy,
1: right? Right. And that's really bringing it back to this story. That's really the question is each individual business person has to decide on their own what is the value proposition for doing X. Right. And if that is, I will show up at work every day to be a photographic assistant to Joe McNally as a free photo assistant Because I'm an intern, but it's not free. I'm going to be able for however long to learn from a Joe McNally that may be a proposition for you that's worth it. It may not be because you have to have a paying job to pay your rent. That's right. Each person has to make their own decision. Now, to me, if you accepted this 10-hour wedding offer, (laughs) you're a nut.
0: But, uh, okay. Now you, you've called both people nuts on either side of, of delivering well, the and offer you and accepting the offer. But, but, but I will state that the, the people that are, that are putting this offer forward, I, I don't think they're nuts. I think that they're trying to take advantage of somebody that does not know their own value. Uh, that's my opinion. And I think that somebody that would accept the offer is somebody that also does not know their own value. And you but that's have a lot of creatives. Well, this is true,
1: yes. And that's really where the problem is. Is we need to educate creatives that even if you're charging $50, get learn how to ask for money and get used to billing something to understand that your work, your knowledge and your time and talent have value. That's I really agree. the key. Yep.
0: Absolutely. All right, well, we kind of put that one to bed and thank you for your uh, your opining on that. That was great, Steve. I appreciate your opinions. Uh, but now I want your opinion on what you think is something that photographers need in some way
1: in our pick of the week segment. So this one I'm picking is actually a video tool. And when I first saw this back, at, back, in, an, back in an Apple event in uh, 2019, a company called Filmic, who make the application Filmic Pro, which is yeah. a professional video application for iOS. I mean, it's an amazing application for doing video on, a, on an iOS device. And there are people who have made rigs with cages around an iPhone to be able to shoot and use Filmic Pro. Back at this Apple event they showed utilizing a new Apple API that enables companies to access more than one camera at a time. For example, on an iPhone 11, you've got three cameras, Mm -hmm. two on the back and the selfie camera. And on an iPhone 11 pro, you've got four cameras. You've got the selfie camera, the wide, the ultra wide, and the telephoto. And the demo that they gave at the Apple event, they had all four cameras going at one time on an iPhone 11 pro. Well, That technology is going to be rolled into Filmic Pro at some point. I don't know how many cameras it will support, but the tech will be rolled in. In the meantime, they have released a completely free app called Double Take by Filmic. And Double Take pulls up a quadrant screen where each of the four cameras is shown. And you choose an A camera and a B camera. So you could choose, for example, the selfie camera to film you, and the ultra-wide camera to film as you're walking through the floor of WPPI. And then you can choose how to record it. Your options for recording are picture-in-picture, so it records one video file with one of the camera's full screen and the other camera as a small PIP. You can choose a two-up view, which is one of the cameras on the left, one of the cameras on the right of the field, and it's one video recording. Or you could record each of the two cameras discrete video. So you could do a multi-cam shoot as you're walking through the expo at WPPI with the selfie on you as you're talking and at the same time be recording an ultra-wide as you're walking. And if you had that thing on an Osmo mobile, you'd have super smooth video as you did it. Yeah. Again, this is a free app. The recording options are great, and I just saw today. I'm trying to remember uh, Ripple training released a video from Vlog University, which just happened in LA. Uh, I Justine, well-known vlogger, yeah, yeah. Uh, did this photo. Joseph was there, Alex Lindsay was there, and they released a video where they b- built this weird rig from stuff at Home Depot to put two iPhone 11 Pros at 90 degrees to each other. <laughs> Using the wide on one side and the selfie, and they recorded four people standing in front of these as a multi cam discrete shoot that they could bring into Final Cut Pro as a multi cam edit. Wow. Again, to me, it's free and it is absolutely
0: awesome. Double take, right? Double take. All right. Well, let's, uh, I'm actually, uh, I don't have an iPhone, but my wife does. I bought her one so that I could test
1: out the cameras on it and I'm going to have to test this app. That's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty wild. The first thing I thought of was my wife was cooking and I put the ultra wide on and I could see her and the stove. And I was centered on the selfie camera and I could record that as picture in picture or Two discrete, complete, separate video tracks. Bring it in. Do a multicam edit. All from an iPhone.
0: That's amazing. Technology advances, and we must advance with it. Um, you know. Speaking of such, my pick of the week um, is uh, is is kind of it's a company. It's not an actual product, although I'm going to talk about a product. So uh, we talked earlier about me doing some uh, cross polarization of some crystals, and I was doing my mad scientist thing. And so I had a polarizing filter that I've had for a long time and I've used it on my cameras, but it was a, a CPL. So uh, I, I was using this as part of this equation where uh, I have an LED flashlight underneath and it's then creating polarized light that then goes to a microscope slide that has these crystals that I've grown that take a couple of hours um, and then a polarizing filter on top of that. And it creates these crazy birefringent colors. Uh, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with the term birefringence, well, most people are uh, have no idea what that is, so that's okay. But uh, the idea is cross polarization can create these crazy, very vibrant colors. And so I was happy with the initial results, and then I looked at the filter and I thought to myself, well, that doesn't work out quite so well because. I now have problems with my filter. The glass looks fine, but the polarizer seems less effective, more transparent in certain areas where the filter was. And I, I was kind of scratching my head trying to figure this out. And I think it was down to heat. I think that those LED flashlights were generating too much heat in close proximity. They were just resting right on top of uh, uh, the, the filter, right on top of the, uh, of the flashlight. So uh, I contacted breakthrough filters. And this is the best customer support scenario story that I have had in the last five years. Uh, they called me on the phone the next day. And so no initial email. They called me. And I like that personal approach. That's great. Um, and they they were really genuinely curious how this happened. And I described the whole process. And they said, well, Okay. Well, number one, we're going to send you a new filter because that shouldn't happen. I mean, they're guaranteed in the harshest of scenarios. And if you're just sitting in your basement uh, in my studio here and I broke the filter, then we're going to fix that. But we don't want that to happen again to the next filter. So what we're going to do is we are going to 3D print you a holder for that filter. And we're going to put uh, a, a common clamp on it. They're giving me an Arca Swiss base for it so that I could put that in, into a tripod that I could then mount above the flashlight so that there's distance so that the heat dissipation happens and it doesn't uh, destroy the filter in the process. I didn't ask them to do that. Still surprises me
1: an LED would give out that much heat.
0: Oh, they, uh, a tiny little handheld flashlight can give out almost 2000 lumens. So uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, I think, it doesn't do it, but especially when you're putting the, the filter right on top of the output, you're right. kind of encapsulating everything right in there and it might damage your filter. So, uh, food for thought here, do not put a circular polarizing filter right on top of an led flashlight. Cause you'll probably break it, but if you can put it somehow a little bit higher up, you can use a crab clamp. You can use so many different ways to do it. They're sending me a custom. They made this for my purposes. Uh, And they're sending me one. I I haven't received it yet. It's coming this week. But the the point is that that customer service of identifying a problem and also being very curious about the problem. I was going to send this back today, but I wanted to keep it for the show just so that I could show you, Steve. Um, They want this back because they want to use this as a test filter to see exactly how much heat it takes to damage their filters in the future and maybe design against that, or at least have the knowledge of what happened here. Right. And that to me, that insight, that genuine attitude of knowledge and protecting their customers, I rarely ever see. And so my... Uh, My pick of the week is Breakthrough Filters. So uh, Breakthrough.Photography is their website. And they make Circular Polarizer. They make the best ND filters in the industry. They make some other really interesting products. Go check them out. Uh, Be a patron to them uh, on my order. Because uh, everything that I've gotten from them has been amazing. Even the edges of their filters are these notched designs. They're not completely solid. So there's a grip to it. You ever get a filter stuck? And that's one
1: of the biggest problems I find, yeah.
0: Right, I've never had one of these filters get stuck because I've got a grip on them. And they they, they look at those details and they make sure that they are taken care of uh, and they use the best possible components. So breakthrough photography Uh, and their breakthrough filters, I think, are wonderful. Their customer service is top-notch and they get my pick of the week. Nice one. Uh, Steve, where can people find you,
1: your fun and frivolity online? Uh, Normally I'm on Twitter or Instagram at Steve Brazel. It's like Brazil, but there's two L's. So at Steve Brazel. Don't let autocorrect uh, get in the way there. Say again? I said, don't let autocorrect get in the way there. Yeah, which it will most likely. (laughs) Uh, And then the podcast, uh, the website, stevebrazel.com, but the podcast is BehindTheShot.tv. And uh, you and I are doing the critique shows now. Those are on the Behind the Shot YouTube channel. We've got the Behind the Shot Flickr group uh, to get into the critique shows. But the normal website for the the regular shows is BehindTheShot.tv. And we'll put the links
0: to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much to everybody that's been listening to this. I know that uh, Steve is a uh, uh, not only a welcome guest, but a... Uh, a requested guest on many occasions, uh, from a lot of people and your opinions are greatly appreciated, not by me. Well, I mean, yes, by me, but by, by the larger audience that is listening. So thank you, Steve. We appreciate you being here. And for everybody listening, it's time to get out and shoot.